1: And welcome to episode 261 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bonds you need, get a quote and purchase online at ColonialSurety.com forward slash podcast.
0: And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And, of course, we want to mention the second edition of
1: our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, which is available on Amazon. Everyone now especially agrees that collaboration is essential And more than ever, knowing the right tools can make all the difference. As I like to say at the start of our recent podcasts, what a difference another week or two of pandemic makes. In our last episode, we talked about ways to improve your audio and video presence and even to create your own production studio setting. In this episode, we wanted to share some of our best tips on presenting online. We've done a lot of online presentations over the years. Tom,
0: what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing ways to improve your online presentations. In our second segment, we will, yay, answer a voicemail question from a listener, something we'd like to do more of. Remember, we have a voicemail, and voicemail box at 720-441-6820. That's 720 four, four, one, six, eight, two zero. That's the number for our voicemail box. And we'll be answering a question on our second segment. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots. that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, Nobody, have you noticed, is doing really very many live or in-person presentations these days. It's all moving online. And as you might imagine, presenting online content requires a different skill set than you might need for in-person presentations. So in this episode, we thought we would discuss some of the important things uh, you might consider uh, to make sure that your online presentation is on point. Dennis, how many online presentations have you done lately? Well, really, Tom, it's all of them lately. Uh,
1: seriously, though, I, I taught half semesters of uh, two classes online, uh, law school classes, and I've done several webcasts, and, and I'll be doing one on LinkedIn with Allison Shields tomorrow. So uh, it's really been a, a quite a turn. So nothing live at all. And I don't really see much live coming for me and uh, maybe even
0: through the end of the year. Uh, what about you, Tom? Well, I have to say it's been kind of a refreshing break for me. I've I've given one presentation on guess what online meeting tools. Um, so very timely. But I will tell you that um, working from home, as a matter of course pretty much all I do when I give presentations these days for my company is we do online webinars frequently. So I am giving online presentations, you know, maybe once or twice a month sometimes depending on how often we do things. And so I I'm not giving as many as 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 I usually have, but uh, it definitely has been uh, definitely something that I've had a lot of experience with over the years. And I think that I, mean, I think that we both agree that you you need a different skill set to do something online, Dennis. What are you, what are your thoughts on what's necessary for giving online presentations versus in person?
1: Well, I think it's it, it really is a set different set of skills to learn, and the good news is, and we'll talk about this, is that a lot of people have done the work on this in terms of online education and other things like that. So there's a lot of resources out there that can help us. And we're just at the early stage of this. And I know that for, you know, the fall semester, I'm, I, you know, I want to spend a good amount of time this summer looking at, at, uh, you know, online courses and how to, how to do them better. But I, I think the big one for me that I really noticed is that if you don't see the people you're talking to and you don't, you're not seeing the video of them, which I don't think is an exact substitute for seeing people uh, live. And you can't interact with them the same way you do with the live audience. That really changes everything. It changes the energy. It changes your approach. You don't get a, a good sense of the reaction. And it's just a, a completely different skill set. But I really track it to the the energy that's missing that you get from, from doing a, a live presentation. Tom, is that sort of you, you, just, you sort of feel like you don't know what's landing and, and what's not. Uh, you don't necessarily people see people's heads nodding yes. Um, so I don't know. Do you feel that that loss of energy?
0: So my question to you is, can you see my screen? Can you actually see the notes that I wrote down to talk about this point? Because I, I have almost the exact same words that you're using. Because I, I think that when you are presenting to a live audience, Um, There is an energy level and that you gain your energy from their energy. You know, you can sense, you know, I usually will glom on to the one or two people in the audience or maybe more, hopefully, who are nodding along and who are saying, we get it, we understand. I look frequently at them. And that helps me move along better. And I i think, you know, even if I could give an online presentation where I could see a bunch of faces staring back at me on Zoom would still give me a sense of that energy. But I'll tell you the one presentation, well, any any webinar that I give it's like speaking into the void and you have no idea if you're killing it. You have no idea if you're bombing, there's no way to tell if you're, if something you say that's funny is, is landing. I mean, there are things that I've said in person that got great laughter. And then when you say it there and you hear nothing in response, I mean, it's, it's a terrible feeling at first when you first have it happen. And, and frankly, I think that what it can lead people to do is it can actually lead you to be more tentative. The longer that you go along, that you, 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 you lose some of the energy, and that's kind of the danger that you run into, and I think that's one of the first tips we want to talk about is you know, don't let the fact that there's no audience there drag your energy level down. You have to keep it up like you are in front of an audience of 500 people, and you're killing it no matter whether you can see them or not or whether you're killing it or not.
1: Yeah, it's like one of those things that, you know, in terms, you may use the same hand gestures you would use if you were talking live or like big gestures, just to kind of help your energy. You might decide to speak a little faster. Um, so there's some things like things like that. And it is weird when you do get the, uh, the reaction. So at the end of one of my uh, classes, I finished up and uh, all the students started clapping. You know, on, on Zoom, and it was <laughs> like, it was it was really kind of a weird feeling, but it was it was cool. Um, but you know, it's like really hard to know that that things were 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 going over as apparently well as 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 they did. Well, I'll I guess tell you, real,
0: I'll tell you real quick, and sorry for interrupting, but I'll tell you real quick, just to, on the point that you have is when I give my online webinars, I. I don't do this on purpose. I just have started doing it just instinctively. I will start gesturing. I will start uh, moving my hands around as if I'm on stage talking to people. And I will tell you, it does wonders for the way that I, it does wonders for my own energy. It makes me feel like I'm in front of people. I'm sort of pretending that I'm, that I am. And I, tell you it's so much easier than just sitting in front of a microphone and and talking into it. You know, doing those gestures and and kind of living living like you're giving that presentation really does make a difference. So, and then there's two other things that that I I wanted to
1: mention is and and they're sort of related. But so one is that when you're presenting online, there's a lot more things that can go wrong. You can have a lot of moving parts. So, you might have a chat session, you might have uh polling questions. I mean, you might have a QA thing. You might be sharing screens. You might be looking at uh, who's muted, not muted. You know, all all these sorts of things can happen. You might have little internet glitches, uh, you know, uh, you might have sound glitches. So um, there's a lot, it can be a lot of moving moving parts. And then uh, in that sense, if you if you do decide to share screens, then I think your approach to slides, you, you really need to rethink it. And I've still haven't decided what's, what's better to go with like really sparse slides when you're doing online or to put more information, more like the traditional bullet point approach, which I typically won't, will never use uh, going live and in person. But Uh, in some cases, might make a little bit more sense when you're online and and sharing the screen because it's right in in front of people. Um, And then you also want to have a good understanding of where, and sometimes you just don't, of what people are seeing when you're showing those slides—are you just a small box in the corner? If you're co-presenting, are we both on the screen at the same time? You know, so there's some things out there. So those
0: are sort of two big things that that I've found as I've done done more of these. Tom, two quick things on that. Um, I think that the fact that things can go wrong is a lesson that you really need to know how to use the technology that you're using. You need to practice on it, frankly, if you haven't practiced on it before. And my example for that is last week, and this wasn't a presentation, this was just a, a meeting with a brand new client. And the one, one of my colleagues was uh, getting ready to show a number of different documents. And... Um, She was verbally taking everyone in the meeting, because there's probably 10 or 15 people who are attending this meeting, taking them all through her entire mental process. And she was saying out loud, oh, that's not working. Oh, I can't, uh, uh, oh, this this is not happening the right way. And, oh, I can't toggle between these screens. Okay, what if I do this? Maybe if I do this, this will work. If you know your technology, you're not going to have those issues. I think that we all have had experiences when technology doesn't go right, so be prepared so that you're not uh, you're ready to ad lib in case your technology goes wrong. But I think the better lesson is make technology go right for you or at least know how to use it. Here's my question to you, Dennis, about slides, because I'm sort of surprised that you haven't said this yourself. I-, I always fall down on the side of, I like to have more content than you prefer on a slide, whether it's live or whether it's virtual. I want my the people that I present to to have some content to take with them rather than just what I say to them. I want them to have both. But here's what I've noticed after a month of being locked down and attending a lot of webinars. Not everybody's using slides. I've been in conferences where slides aren't being used at all and people are just joining us from their dining room or their living room or their office and they're just talking and there's no slides at all. So, you know, when we're talking now about this new world of presentations, are slides necessary, period.
1: Yeah. And and then you also have to remember that people are, you know, attending your presentation in different ways. So some people might be on their phones. So, uh, even if you have slides, they might not be looking at them or they might not be able to read them. Some people are just on audio They, you know, like I was on a webcast today where I just put in my AirPods and I don't think I watched any of it, but I was just doing other things and walking around the apartment. And so whatever slides they had, you know, were meaningless to me. So it all comes back to, you know, some of the stuff just comes back to those basic presenting skills of like, you know, knowing your audience, learning your audience, know, know their preferences, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, that's where I found. So, yeah, it's, it's, I'm struggling a bit, time with, with slides. I s- still think I'm going to end up in my comfort zone, um, you know, rather than to try to overthink it.
0: Yeah, no. I I um, I actually prefer to have slides with some content on them because I want my audience to have a takeaway. I want them to have something to take with them that's not just my words in case they're not taking notes in case they're not. I need I need them to have some sort of documented proof that I that I did something. So let's maybe talk about some of the other issues. You know, what else have we learned? I know that you've, you've put here in the questions about whether or not it's useful to have other people handle the tech for you, um, handle tech and questions. Do you think that's a good idea, bad idea, ideal? What, how do you fall down on that issue?
1: Well, I was—I did a class where I was sharing the screen, doing breakout sessions and uh, a number of other things, and I really wish I would have had somebody handling the tech. I'm a lot better at the questions than I used to be, but I think if you have somebody who can handle that, especially if you're... You know, concern about security and privacy, where you have a waiting room and and stuff like that, um, especially where you do, you have the breakout rooms. It'd be nice to have somebody who can handle all that stuff. You know, obviously, you don't always get the the chance to, to do that, but it that kind of ties back to, I would say what I've learned so far are, are two big things. One is that I'm just beginning to learn and there's a lot more for me to learn. And that I, I just think you go simple, simple, simple until you uh, you develop familiarity and, and, and confidence. And so having a bunch of things going on is is tricky. And if you have the opportunity to have that co-host who can handle some of the tech stuff and especially the questions and things, that can really help you. Obviously, it's not gonna happen every time.
0: Well, and so I agree with you about the tech. I, I think that having someone who can help with the technology is useful, but in one specific instance is it really useful. And I noticed this when I if I ever give webinars for for somebody else, and there's, you know, some a, a team to help you with that, the best the best feature of that is you are always going to have someone trying to attend your meeting who is going to post in the chat or in the help saying, I can't hear the audio, or why won't this work? And they're complaining, and if you as the speaker are having to manage it, then you become distracted, just like my colleague did, and you don't really focus on it. Let someone else focus on it, and I think that that's a good, a good choice of that. That. with questions I have a slightly different approach because I think that um, I think that there's two ways to answer questions during a presentation I think that if if they ask a question during your talking and it's related to what you're talking about I think it's appropriate to answer that question in line and in time with what you're talking about and that's why I like to have the question show up on the side of the screen so I can always kind of keep track of of what the questions are, and I can pick and choose. But you know that there will always be someone in the presentation who will ask you this out-of-left-field question that has nothing to do with what you're talking about and and say, oh, by the way, what about this? Well, those are the questions you can wait till the end. So, so answer the ones that you need to answer, and I tend to want to handle those myself. I, I, I feel like if there's a moderator to ask the questions, that feels less authentic to me. I'd rather answer them myself and talk about them myself. But obviously I, I don't, that's not a live or die on that, but that's kind of how I prefer to handle it. And the other thing
1: I would say, and this relates to questions, is that what I've realized is, is that on these online presentations, online meetings, that chat is actually a second channel that uh, can occur simultaneously. And Tom, as you know, from uh, when we used to do these podcasts and stuff and we we would uh, do anything by video, you would like instant message me with something and I would never look for it. So now I really use the chat and now I can see it a a lot better than than I used to. You know, it's like I'm I'm aware of it and there may be separate conversations going on. Uh, If you're co-presenting with somebody, you might be responding to somebody in chat and it's just, you know, as we move to kind of more of a chat world that I think awareness that that's going on. That's why it can be kind of complicated to speak if you have a number of things going on and you're it's just you and you're responding to the chat. And Again, you know, part of my uh, learnings have come from working with students who will, even though they might not want to raise their hand or to speak out in front of people, will ask me questions in chat. So you have to, to pay attention to it. So um, I think as a speaker, you need to be aware of what's happening in the chat session, uh, which
0: again is you know, shows how many different things are going on as you're trying to do a presentation. Which I think is a new thing. I mean, chat wasn't always the thing that you describe in in online presentations. I think more people are making use of it. And I really think that the reasons you describe back channel between speakers to talk about things, legitimate questions that people might be asking are great. But I will tell you, I've been to a couple of online conferences where they've left the chat open and it's really open season. It's, it's, it's where they... They, somebody will ask a question why would, someone, why would the speaker say X and Y and then another attendee will come in and say well because they said this you dummy and then they almost get into a fight and have these kind of side conversations that don't make any sense and are actually distracting and so I don't really know how to fix that I'm not sure that you can or want to but I think that there's a good way to use chat and a not so good way to use chat and I think we're seeing both of those
1: then also, I think there's some other things. So one thing I have a question about is and, and that I prefer that when I'm watching people uh, do online presentations, that they actually are quite close to the screen so that their, their face takes up most of the screen. That's just my preference. But what I've heard from a lot of people is they don't like that. They prefer that you're, that feels too close to them. And so you see more people sitting further back. And I actually decided to sit further back from the camera than I used to. But I don't, actually, when I'm looking at the screen while I'm talking, I don't like that. You know, I would prefer to be closer. But it's kind of, you need to kind of figure out what, again, it's like, what is the, what does the audience like? And you cater to that. And then I want to look at the research as well to say, hey, are there, you know, I'm not going to say best practices, but that's sort of the way to think of it. Like, is it, does it make sense to sit at a certain distance? What does it signal? Does it give people if you're close or you're far, that, that sort of thing. So I don't know where, where you are. I think, Tom, you're one of the people who might have told me that I was, I was too close to the camera, but...
0: Well, I think what's useful about this discussion is to let the audience know that we're watching each other on video right now, and Dennis is very close to the camera, and I am further back from the camera. So I am, I am the opposite. Not, I'm a little closer to the opposite. I should be closer. Doesn't really make sense with this computer and this desk, but I tend to agree. I think that closer up is a better experience. I think the farther away... That lends kind of a distance. Um, I think that from a technical perspective, if you are farther away, um, it's it, if you're not using the right equipment, it can be harder to hear you. I think I've seen a lot of people who've been farther away and they've been using the microphone on their computer. So it really is like listening to somebody on a speakerphone and it's just a, a horrible experience. But um, I tend to think that the closer view tends to be the better... I think it's a more. I, although, frankly, when I say that I like to gesture a lot with my hands, I, I maybe maybe having enough room so people can see you gesture and have you and, and have you talk like a real person um, may also make sense. So I am kind of I can see both sides of that, but I would tend towards a a closer view of of a speaker.
1: Yeah, I don't know, Tom, we probably need to to wrap up. I know we have a number of things on there, so maybe we can tick through some of them. I, I'm i I'm starting to explore more uh, how to use interactivity and polling during presentations, just because you're saying it is, you know, people don't like to just sit and watch a talking head f- for an hour. So you want to add some things in. I would consider you know, putting videos into a presentation just to do something a little bit, you know, animations definitely uh, to do something a a little bit different. I probably do I I consciously think more of roadmaps to say here's what's going to happen and here's what's coming up and here's here's where we've been and then this is something that people don't do a lot of but if you're co-presenting I think you really need to to put the extra effort into identifying the speakers and think of how you do the handoffs and you know if people aren't watching or paying attention that you know sometimes we do this on the podcast we'll go like so Tom, what do you think of that? Or you know, and it just kind of helps people identify who's speaking and what's going on, and personalizes a bit. And so it goes back to what do we learn when we're watching TV and other video presentations? And and then I said, uh, for me, I just wanted this summer dig into a lot more of the research that's already out there as to what works for online instruction.
0: I don't know, Tom, do you have like a Few things you want to you want to be sure to cover. Sure, a couple of things. I totally agree with you about using polls. Um, I see a lot more speakers in person using it. I think it's actually even better for online presentations because people have closer access. To the web and can participate in the polls, I think easier from their computer than when they're sitting out in an audience um, and, and they're having to scramble to get to stuff and the internet might not be as good. And I, I just think it's better. Two tools that I recommend are either Poll Anywhere, Slido is another one that I know that gets good reviews. Dennis, I don't know if there's any other tools that you use that you'd recommend that we can include in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I've done things just using the the polling, Pulling. you know, building to Zoom, oh, and okay. then I think the blue. I can't remember when I used blue jeans. Whether that had uh, had something, uh, WebEx may yep. may have polling built into it. It sort of depends on the platform. We I, I I have this feeling that everybody's you know all the different tools are going to get referred to as Zoom. You know, before it, too eventually long. it'll and, all be called Zoom.
0: Um, <laughs> Uh, so the other thing to think about, especially if you're going to use PowerPoint, is consider about whether you want to use subtitles in your presentation because now new PowerPoint allows you to put in subtitles, which means that – and you can do them in any language. So if you happen to be presenting to people in a different language, you could actually do your subtitles in any almost any language around the world. But it might be good if people – you know, maybe don't have a good connection or have trouble hearing or need some help, uh, having those subtitles might not be a bad idea. I think that what we talked about in our previous podcast about um, audio and video all those same things apply to online presentations have a good microphone so people can hear you have a good camera if you're on a video presentation so people can see you right make sure that you have good lighting so that it doesn't look crazy I think all of those same rules apply for giving a presentation I wouldn't really uh, I I think those are all all very similar uh, things I think that uh, you know one one of the things and I'm probably springing this on Dennis by saying this is that we've we've talked in general about whether we want to host maybe some live events using Microsoft Teams, and they have live captions that are part of that. They have live captions. They have recording. Think about whether you want to record uh, presentations that you give and your ability to do that. So just a couple of things to think about taking that online presentation game up a level, Um, some of the things that Dennis and I are going to be probably trying out here over the next couple of months.
1: Yeah, So and I just real quick want to mention breakout rooms. Because uh, in the right situations, they can work really well to get your audience involved. And so the breakout rooms, you can basically either randomly or pre-assign people to rooms um, in smaller groups. And then they automatically go into that group and they can have a conversation there and then come back to the main, the main meeting or presentation. And in the right situations, that's just a, that works really, really well.
0: Totally agree. Zoom is very good at that. Microsoft Teams is going to get that same feature soon, but not sure when on the roadmap that's going to happen. All right, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A-excellent by AM Best, so you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at ColonialSurety.com forward slash podcast.
1: Looking for a process server you can trust? ServNow.com is a nationwide network of local, pre-screened process servers. ServNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit
0: www.ServNow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy.
1: We love to get questions from you, uh, Tom, even more than me. Um, and our voicemail line is 720-441-6820. And we love even more to feature those questions in this RB segment. In this episode, we have a great question that we got from Mike in South Carolina. And let's play that now.
0: Hello, Thanks for all the great content that you guys are putting out during these times. It's very much appreciated by people like me, and um, I just wanted to call to thank you. And secondarily, I was just wondering if you could recommend some people or companies or resources that you like to follow on social media like Twitter. Thanks. So, Tom, do you want to start us off on answering Mike's question? Sure. So unfortunately, Mike, I'm I'm not going to name a lot of names because once I name one, I feel guilty for not naming them all. So I, I'd like to talk in terms of themes instead. I follow a lot of tech news sites. I will give a name. The Verge is one of my big favorites. Um, I think that they do a great objective job of reporting technology. But there are a lot of other tech news Twitter pages that can keep you up to date on technology news, Wired Magazine, just a bunch of other Twitter feeds that are from tech news outlets. In legal tech, I like to follow people who I know from the legal tech world, who I've seen speak at conferences. So if I am watching a conference and I like a presentation, I'll go find them on Twitter. I'll follow them. Um, There's a lot of very smart people who are part of the College of Law Practice Management. If you go to the college page and you look for the, the members, there's a lot of really smart people there who I do like to follow. They have a lot of good things to say. And what's interesting is, is that once you start to follow them, pay attention to uh, if you if you're following the legal tech pages, I mean, excuse me, the technology reporting sites, follow their reporters. The reporters have their own Twitter feeds, and they have their own interesting things that they like to talk about beyond what's going on um, on the on those specific journalist sites. And then also watch out for who all of those people retweet. That's where I've actually found a lot of people to follow because if people I enjoy following on Twitter are also tweeting about people they enjoy following, then I might enjoy following those people too. So I find that it's it's useful to see who else I like. You know, if you want to be a little stalkery, you can actually go on Twitter and go to the profile page of somebody you like and see who they follow, because you might get some inspiration from that also. I will say that who I don't follow a lot of are vendors. Um... Most vendor tweets are too promotional. They're way too promotional and they're not enough good, solid content. The exceptions I make are for big companies. I think Microsoft, Apple, Google, A lot of their content can be a lot more substantive, so I'm more likely to follow and look at their stuff. But, you know, even during, I hate to say it, this is sacrilege, even during ABA Tech Show, most of the vendor tweets are, come to our booth and learn about our new product for doing this. And I'd really rather know, you know, give us something substantive about what you do or something substantive about legal technology. I'll be more likely to follow your product. So, sorry, that took a little bit longer than I expected. But, Dennis, any tricks you follow or anybody you specifically want to mention?
1: Yeah. I, so I think you touched on this. So in the early days of blogging, the very early days, people used to do this thing called a blog roll, which would say, here are the blogs that I read. And then what you typically would do is you would try some of those out. You go like, oh, I like reading this person's blog. So I'll, I'll, I'll read some of the blogs that the, that they they read. And then you would sort of build your own list from that. So I think that Twitter can be the same way. So it's kind of like you kind of leverage uh, you know what other people are, what they've already identified and then then build what makes sense for you from that. I kind of agree with uh, with Tom in a lot of ways. That uh, you're looking, uh, Twitter seems a place where you get the best stuff from individuals. So you might, if somebody's like, uh, an, in the vendor world, you would want to see people who are kind of the evangelists for a company, or like a CEO of a company who. Uh, Tweets a lot, say like a Kevin O'Keefe at, at Lex Blog, uh, who's been doing it for a long time. Sort of institutionally, there are some things that I uh, that I like uh, that I've been involved with, like the the LTRC feed and the, the Law Technology Today feed, that can can be a good starting place. But I think. For me, it's it's primarily individuals and finding uh, some of the the journalists. And then my big advice on Twitter these days is is uh, get yourself outside the the U.S. on the people that you follow. There's really interesting stuff uh, being tweeted on legal tech tech in general, legal innovation from from all over the world. Is kind of tapping into that. Um, can be really good, but kind of follow your own, your own inclinations and the the things that you like and just kind of slowly build and see what you like and and follow the path that it leads you on. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away.
0: All right, my um, I have two parting shots, and they're both frivolous, uh, time-consuming, addictive websites to go find. Kind of random, uh, but I'm totally enamored with both of them. One is called Listening Together, and w- and what it is is it's I think it's by the music service Spotify, and what they do is they say, what are the chances that two people start listening to the same song somewhere in the world? And it's happening a whole lot, and so you can just click a button and it will show you that so-and-so in Sao Paulo, Brazil, started listening to this song at the same time as someone in Moscow at the same exact time started listening to it. I've kept watching that for probably 30 minutes just to see what songs and where the people were that listened to them likewise a site called astronaut I will I will uh, give credit to recommendo the the great newsletter that we talk about all the time um, is um, it, it featured this it's called astronaut and what it is is it's a feed of YouTube videos that have like one or two views they're nobody's viewing them They're things you don't expect. They're not terribly interesting, but they're also fascinating. They're usually things that just individuals have filmed, whether it's of their church service, because lots of churches are are doing their own, you know, in-home sermons now, um, or a a yoga class, or people just walking down the street. But it is fascinating to watch all of these, and they just keep on going um, in a continuous cycle of things within the past week that get very little views. I'm Totally mesmerized by it. I can't stop watching it. So I need somebody else to foist off this addiction to. Astronaut.io. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes. Dennis. So I have to do
1: two as well, Tom. And so one is, we were talking about this beforehand. You see all these people now, especially in the, the legal field, who've discovered collaboration and how important it is and that there are these tools out there. And gosh, Shocking. It, it's just Tom, shocking, isn't it? Tom, you and I, we wrote a book to this, uh, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technology. So I'm going to mention it because we go into like how you need to think about collaboration tools and what's out there and all the categories. And it's a darn good book. I, I'm just can't stop myself from saying there's a, a good book that people should should look at. My other one is, as uh, you know, I think that lawyers put on a brave face that nothing is really changing, but there are a lot of layoffs and other things. You're starting to hear about more and more people losing their jobs, and changes coming and clients with business problems, all sorts of stuff happening. And so I go back to LinkedIn, and um, so which is going to be really valuable when you're in a situation where you either need to find a job, you have concerns about your current job, you need to uh, develop new business, uh, maybe develop a new practice area. So what I want to mention are the LinkedIn premium accounts, which I think are really valuable uh, because you can do them for a limited period of time. But if you're look actually looking for a job, or you're trying to to market, you know, your business, there are there are two premium accounts. I think is great. So one is the career account, which uh, is twenty nine ninety nine a month, and that's going to give you a, a set of uh, extra tools that are helpful when you're looking for a job. And the sales navigator account, which is $79.99 a month, which is great when you're trying to market in a very granular way uh, what you're doing because it gives you tons of information and ability to search and to reach out and to categorize uh, leads and all sorts of things. And like I said, you can turn them on and turn them off, but in this environment,
0: just truly valuable tools for um, actually a very modest price. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for this podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous episodes with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Or remember, I'll give that number again. Please leave us a voicemail. The number is 720 441 So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And
1: I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.